Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really interesting guest. Definitely, we're going to be learning a thing or two about wines and then also about the incredible journey that he has embarked in. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Jake Cloverdance. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alejandro. I appreciate it. It's great to be here on Dealmakers. So let's talk about your upbringing and a little bit of a walk through memory lane. So your parents met in Germany. So tell us about, you know, you really coming to this world and then meeting there and, and how did everything happen really for the family? My, uh, my folks met each other in Germany on a military base in the early 70s and uh, traveled the world for a few years after um, they got out of the army and um, they found themselves in New Zealand, actually, where they had my older sister, Michelle, who's a dual citizen. Um, she's a, a Kiwi and a U.S. citizen. And they moved back to the States. And my mom went to go get her master's at Chico State. My dad um, got his construction management degree there. And they moved to the Bay Area um, to a city called Fremont when I was two. And so um, I was born in 1983, 1985 come to the Bay Area, have a, a great childhood. Um, my, my mom was really my, my business role model growing up. Um, she started her business when I, I was just a few years old there um, and when we moved to Fremont and partnered with an uh, amazing and brilliant woman named uh, Mimi and they started a marketing research business together. My grandma was actually the first entrepreneur in our family and uh, she's from Cleveland, Ohio. And they moved out here um, when my little sister was born. She's six years younger than me. So I was six at the time when they moved out to Fremont. And so my grandma and my mom had a, a profound impact on uh, me um, understanding what uh, the elements of building a business were. I don't know that I understood business as a kid, but I certainly observed it um, and, and what it took. Um, and uh, you fast forward, I went to high school. I lived in Fremont. I my whole childhood, I went to UC Berkeley um, for school, uh, got into the business um, program there, was also playing football initially when I showed up as a freshman and transitioned over to rugby my sophomore year. And so I was involved in sports. I was involved in a social life in a fraternity, Sigma Chi. Um, I was uh, social chair and philanthropy chair. 
um, while I was there at the same time, um, which is a lot of um, where I, I got this love for combining social things and philanthropic things. And um, from uh, UC Berkeley, I kind of checked all the right boxes for the best wine company of the, the last few generations um, to hire me out of college. And um, that's kind of where my career started formally. I was always an entrepreneur, started a little storage business in college and um, did some other fun things as a little kid. But my formal career post-college um, started down in Newport Beach and it started in the wine industry. And uh, that's that's kind of the background in my progression uh, along the way. And why 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 wine? Out of all the industries and and also seeing, you know, like your 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 parents, I mean your mom, your grandma, you know, starting their own business. Not only you you decide not to start your own business, but then also going into a into a very difficult um, you know segment, which is the winery business. Yeah, that's right. I would say wine. It was a little bit by chance. I think Gallo, when they think about um, people to join their company, um, especially people who are just starting their career, um, I captured a lot of the things they look for: very coachable, um, hard worker. Um, capable of doing some manual labor, um, which was certainly part of the job. And I fell in love with the romantic side of it. I mean, I was uh, they had me down in Newport Beach uh, as a sales territory. Um, it sounded very romantic to sell wine in Newport Beach. And in reality, um, I found myself in the back of grocery stores, right? Like down stacking pallets with the grocery team in the middle of the night. Um, trying to build relationships with them so I could get the best sales spots uh, around. And um, so what I thought was a glamorous position in the trenches was actually like stocking shelves, dusting bottles, doing a lot of the grunt work um, to build those relationships. And it was actually in those grocery stores, though, and surveying the shelves and stocking the shelves where I came up with the idea for One Hope. So I'm really thankful that it wasn't quite as glamorous as I had envisioned it. And it was a lot of hard work in grocery stores and with seeing how those stores work and how consumers work in those stores. So if you're not born into the wine industry, I mean, why is it so difficult to get into it? It's not complicated to um, become a salesperson in it or to join a distributor. It's a very hard business to build a brand in, uh, mostly because it takes a lot of assets um, to do it. And historically, you've had to own a vineyard, you need to own a winery to be able to produce wines. Um, and then having the money to invest into getting distribution, marketing, getting it to sell through and off the shelves is very expensive. The wine industry also has something that's known as the three-tier distribution system. So um, historically, up until 2005, if you are a wine brand, you needed to sell to the distributor the distributor sells to the retailer or to the restaurant, and then that retailer sells to the end consumer. And so there's three different tiers between the supplier and the customer. And so up until 2005, that was that was the only way you could do it. And so as a supplier, you don't have any understanding of what's really happening day to day, and you don't have a lot of the data accessible to you. You have to depend on getting it from the distributor who's getting it from the retailer, who's getting it from the customer. And so I, I think historically, it's been really hard to build uh, a wine brand for those reasons. I came and arrived in 2007, really, when I formally started the company. And I, I first came up with the idea all the way dating back to 2005. And um, 2005's 
the year that the Grand, Grandholm Yield case went down that allowed direct-to-consumer shipping of wine across state lines. And so I really entered into the industry at a very lucky time to be thinking about the way you can um, meet the consumer where they are and in their home. Um, and then also to be entering during a time where custom crush and making wines at other people's wineries started to become a thing. Um, in the past, there wasn't as much of a, a, an opportunity to go and make wines if you didn't own a winery. And there weren't as many opportunities to go and buy grapes if you were a, a newcomer to the industry. Got it. So then let's let's say talk about your next chapter here because it's really the birth of your baby of One Hope. So so what were the sequence of events that happened for you to say, you know what, I'm going to start my own thing in this industry? I mean, what 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 led you there? Yeah, it's a great question, Alejandro. I it's a series of events, and it really probably dates back to you know everything from childhood of um, seeing generosity firsthand to my feeling of presenting the first big check as our philanthropy chair to the Oakland's Children's Hospital and feeling what that felt like. Um, and my first time, um, you know, dressing up as Santa Claus and giving out presents to school kids in college and um, things like that are where I came to realize that um, giving back um, and living a life of purpose was the most rewarding thing. And it was more rewarding than a lot of the um, things that I think I had uh, been taught to think were um, the sign of success, you know, cars or big houses or whatever it may be. And so I think that mentality is really like a lifelong build. But one hope kind of is the culmination, I think, of of that. And it starts in 2005 in October. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I'm uh, in these grocery stores early morning. I'm stocking Campbell's soup to an end cap. And I noticed the pink ribbon on the can. And I'm like, huh, um, what's that for? And read that every can is helping the fight against breast cancer. And um, I realized, um, wow, people are buying this, a lot of it, because it's totally sold out and I'm stocking it. And then I move over to the milk box and I'm filling that up. And there's the Yoplait yogurt next to the Dannon. And the Dannon's fully stocked and the Yoplait yogurt's totally shot. And there again on the lids, I see the pink ribbon and uh, see that they're donating to breast cancer. And October comes and goes, and so too do those temporary marketing campaigns. And um, But it was that day that I kind of came up with the idea of One Hope and um, committed that um, it would be year-round, not just a marketing campaign, but part of the brand, always. So we would build an impact into our business model. And to this day, our purpose is still to nourish the future. And our mission is to share wine and give hope to serve that purpose every day. And, and we're still who we were from day one, built on hope and really rooted in purpose um, from the very beginning. And so we've been able to keep all those things since that original idea and the, the authentic original idea um, and the values that we had in place from the very beginning, even though a lot of things have changed. And if you flash forward from that moment of thinking of one hope to actually getting it started and sparking it. April of 2006, um, so flash forward another six months, I've done what most people do when they have a great idea, which is nothing. I've done nothing with this good idea. And um, I decide that I'm, I'm going to write down a few goals. But um, for the most part, I uh, haven't gotten started on anything. And I get a call from one of my um, best friends from growing up. And she tells me that she has blood cancer and that flips my world upside down. It, um, 
uh, makes me for the first time uh, get in touch with my mortality. It makes me realize as a young man that life is short. And at the same time, it makes me really brave and courageous and realize life is short. So you better do what you want to do. And I've been thinking about this idea for a long time. I flew home to see her. And as a way of inspiring her, I told her about the idea and that I was going to start building it. And um, I flew home the next day, incorporated the business. That was in 2006. I started at Gala with um, a handful of other um, people um, that were my same age and just jumping into the wine industry with me. And there were seven other people that came when it was time to launch the business. So another year later, June 1st, 2007, we're driving with 168 cases in the back of a U-Haul truck loaded into a public storage unit. And that's the first day that we really recognize the launch of One Hope. Um, but like most great things, the launch day and the first day that it kind of originated and the idea came to you were different times. And even that, the progression took about a year and a half from the initial idea to actually having that first bottle and that first case of wine. Yeah, no, and as they say, obviously, ideas, you know, sometimes are dormant, you know, in our in our heads. We don't even know that they're there and they take time to incubate. So absolutely. So I guess in this case, you know, Jake, for the people that are listening to really get it, you know, what ended up being the business model of the company? Because obviously, you know, the approach and the perspective has shifted, you know, quite a bit. So so what what is the business model today of One Hope? One Hope's really an omni-channel business. We sell through uh, multiple channels. So we're in thousands of restaurants and hotels and retailers. Um, and really to get the word out there and get people trying our wine. Um, we also have a beautiful tasting room in the heart of Napa Valley, just right up the road from Opus One and Robert Mondavi, about a half a mile uh, north um, on St. Helena Highway there in the Rutherford region of Napa. But our fastest growing sales channels for us are selling to companies. Um, for gifting, selling directly online at onehopewine.com. And then our biggest by far is this community of cause entrepreneurs. We have nearly 10,000 of them around the nation who share wine and give hope every day. And they bring people together around wine um, to, to do wine tasting. And they also raise money for a cause um, each time they do this. So for instance, like last night, or really on Saturday, probably the biggest day of the week, there were a little over 400 events going on. So we'll do, you know, 5,000 plus events this month where people are raising money for their kid's school or their breast cancer walk or something important to them and bringing people together around wine, albeit virtually a lot of the times right now, um, but also now starting to be in small groups again and wine tastings. And so um, we, we realized along the way that our service wasn't just wine tastings. Our service was bringing people together around wine. And that our product wasn't actually just wine, it was hope. And that we do that in the form of wine, um, but really the product that people are consuming is hope with us and being able to impact another person's life just by the choice of what wine they buy and by engaging in a wine tasting experience. And in this case, I mean, obviously it takes some capital to, to, to do this. So how much capital have you guys raised today, Jake? A lot of money, <laughs> tens of millions, of, tens of millions of dollars. Um, and uh, we, you know, the company has been valued at hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so that's at least a good ratio. Um, but it's a very capital intensive business. We're now at a stage where we're sustainable um, on our own. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't continue to raise money. 
the one thing I'm really proud of is that the people that we've raised money from, a lot of them have been families and individuals who are brilliant visionaries themselves and have built game-changing companies that have changed the world, whether it's in technology or health or um, these different spaces. And so not only are the people at our company aligned with our values of hope and unity, authenticity and empowerment, which are kind of our four pillars uh, and, and values of the company, um, but our investors and shareholders are too. And how many people do you guys have now in the company, Jake? We're about 120-ish the last time I looked. And, and then another nearly 10,000 independent contractors, like I said. And we call those uh, independent contractors uh, cause entrepreneurs, by the way. So they're like commission uh, sales reps or marketing reps for the brand. And their mission is the same as ours, to share wine and give hope. And obviously here, you know, I, I mean, it, it keeps, it keeps uh, coming back, you know, like, uh, you know, having a purpose, you know, having a, a real purpose. And I find that obviously for you as the founder, as well as your co-founders, you know, of the company of One Hope, uh, really, I mean, you are the ones that, that establish, you know, those values, that establish the culture that people are going to get influenced by. So as you're building this up, you know, and now you have over 100 employees, how do you make sure that that the essence and the core values don't get lost? I think make it a, a collective um, commitment. I think, you know, it helps to get it right at the core. And a lot of my job is keeping the band together and keeping us all humble um, and keeping myself humble. And we all keep each other in check, our original co-founders. There's six of us still with the company today. Um, there were eight originally. Um, it's a pretty unique story. Six people coming together in their early 20s and devoting almost their entire career to building a brand together um, that serves a purpose much greater than themselves and even their own in, you know, family units. So I think that commitment and accountability to each other at the core and our leadership across the organization and the everybody taking that collective responsibility that's up to all of us to find people that are built on hope and rooted in purpose and keep each other the way we were from the beginning and and uphold those values that are really in our brand name one in hope and one hope as a singular word captures two of our values of hope and unity and so i think there's a lot of um easy ways to remember um being around the right people who reinforce it and your brand and the values of your brand reinforcing it. And those two things going hand in hand, that creates an authentic brand and voice to the brand. And people can tell how strong your purpose is. And when your purpose is strong, they want to be a part of that because everybody's looking for purpose. And so whether it's our consumers that get um, draw fulfillment and purpose from consuming our brand to our hosts who host parties and share our brand to our cause entrepreneurs who educate people on our brand and share it, to our own home office, to our supply partners, to our investors. All of those people have this common um, passion for the purpose that's at the core of our brand and to nourish the future. And they feel good doing it. And that's kind of priceless, you know? So you can certainly, our company is exciting from a returns profile standpoint to it investing but i think just as much the idea that you can also create 
um, more than a dollar return on the community and an impact on top of that return on investment has been really important to people. And that's across the organization, not just investment of dollars, but investment of time, investment of your career to put your career and your precious minutes into something to build it. You've got to have something more than um, just money. There's got to be soul to it. And that's why people you know, will come back day after day and stay committed and commit a huge portion of their life to building this vision with us. Absolutely. So I guess uh, in this case, you know, obviously the journey is also about learning. And in your case, there was quite an experience with uh, misspelling Chardonnay on one of the labels. So tell us about that story. Oh, you heard you heard about that one, huh? Um, the uh, the old Chardonnay story. Well, a year into building the company, it felt like a really big deal to be doing a run of um, 5,000 labels that would help uh, label up about 400 cases of Chardonnay. We had kind of built ourselves. We started with a Chardonnay towards breast cancer, a Merlot towards AIDS, and a Cabernet towards autism. Now all of our wines have a built-in donation that go towards hunger, water, health, or education. Um, so those are our, our four kind of main cause categories. Um, and all of the nonprofits we give to fall within there. And then we also do direct community grants. But when we first started, we had three wines and each one had a different cause affiliated with it. And our Chardonnay went towards breast cancer, had a pink ribbon on it. Um, and it was like basically the design that myself and one of the other co-founders came up with. And it was not impressive. Now, you go back and look at our packaging and it's just beautiful. And we have so many great creatives on our team. But 400 cases was about eight times what we had bottled to start with, which was 56 cases. That's a pallet of wine. And uh, they call me the day of the bottling. It's about to start. And the uh, controller says, hey, we've got a problem here. All the labels are ready to go. We're about to press go on firing up this bottling line. But uh, one of my guys on the floor just noticed that Chardonnay spelled wrong. There's an extra N in it. And it says Chardonnay. And um, I was like, seriously? And it had gone through government approval and, you know, all the um, gates that got it to there um, with people looking at it. And so that was back in the time where we like send it to our parents to double check, you know, and um, yeah. we decided to put new processes into place at the time, 5,000 labels throwing them away. I was really stressing out about it because it was about like 2,500 bucks at the time. And uh, I almost ran it. I was like, we can sell this with Chardonnay on the front. But I called one of our partners and they were like, no, nah, there's no way we could do that. And so um, it was a big learning lesson. Um, we put new processes in place. We've only had two other label errors that I'm aware of over the last decade since then. And um, yeah, it probably helped us early on. And now I look back on it and I was like, that was a really small mistake compared to mistakes these days. And um, and it was well worth it um, for the learning. Of course. So I guess, uh, you know, for you guys too, you know, the partnership with the Mondavi family, you know, was a big one. So uh, how were you able to really secure that partnership? Yeah, in 2009, one of our uh, co-founders, Sarah, uh, she's doing what we did all the time. We're working at um, these uh, trade shows and selling the vision of the brand, pouring some wine. And gentleman comes up named Michael and he says, uh, hey, I'm Michael. Uh, it's nice to meet you. I'd love to hear about your brand. Gives the pitch. 
um, at the end is like, I love your guys' story. Here's my card. And if there's any, ever anything I can do for you to improve the quality of your wine or help you scale your brand and the volume, give me a call. And uh, she takes it, kind of doesn't really look at it, is just collecting cards and, and trying to be polite, shakes hand. At the end of the night, it's going through the cards and I'll be damned, Michael Mondavi. Um, and uh, the past CEO and chairman of Robert Mondavi and Michael um, and I connected, um, you know, another week later and I knocked on his door a few times, making sure that I got to sit down with him. And he introduced me to his son, Rob. And uh, Rob Mondavi is a, a great winemaker, um, kind of follows in the lineage of all of those family members. I mean, Michael's a great winemaker, too. And uh, they're great business people, too. They're great partners. They did a lot for us. Um, Rob made our wines help make our wines with uh, Tony Coltrane, their uh, other family winemaker for many, many years there. And it allowed us to step up our game when it came to making award-winning wines and wines that we are proud to have at any dinner table. Um, you know, all the fun ratings, the 90 plus point ratings and, and medals. And it gave us that momentum all the way to our head winemaker now, Mari, who's been our head winemaker now for over three years. And um, she's made, you know, many 90 plus point rated wines, 95s, 96, 97s. Um, and she's delivering on these types of scores for wines that are $25 or less. That's where our brand promise starts at. And we certainly have those $100 plus small production, ultra luxury Cabernets and, and other wines in our portfolio. But our brand promise starts there and she's done a great job there. And Rob's continued to make reserve wines for us and other fun wines with, with us along the way. Their family was a, a critical um, turning point in the company to just add credibility, quality to our wines and help us navigate the hard, hard road that is building uh, a wine brand that we wanted to be a generational wine brand, you know, like a, a, gener a generation transcending wine brand um, and be one of those brands that um, changes the wine industry uh, in our generation. So talking about, you know, changing, you know, the becoming, you know, a really big, uh, you know, uh, company in, in this segment. I mean, if, if you were to close your eyes tonight and you go to sleep and you wake up in a world five years later, in a world where the vision of One Hope is fully realized, what does that world look like? Well, our vision's a big one at One Hope. It, it's to build the most purpose-driven consumer goods marketplace in the world. And that's starting with wine. And so um, first and foremost, you know, build the most purpose-driven wine marketplace in the world. And when I say wine marketplace, I mean our brands, which are One Hope, and we have a couple other, a couple other brands in our portfolio, Estate Eight, which is our sister wine brand, small production, high-end wine brand that comes off our our Napa property, as well as a joint venture with uh, John Elway and a brand called Seven Cellars, um, which we're really proud to also market and help build. And um, we see a future where more and more wine companies and family wine companies at that are going to need help with um, the digital transformation. And they're going to need help with um, the technology to power their wine brand and, and bring it direct to consumer, the opportunity to run their tasting room um, in an efficient way, and alternative routes to market because the old traditional way of selling wine isn't really working for a lot of those smaller brands and families. And so I think we've created this amazing demand creation engine in the form of building this 
really purpose-driven and inspired community of cause entrepreneurs who go out and share our story, our wine story. Why not share other family wine brand stories and be able to bring great wines to people in states where they don't necessarily get a lot of access to those kind of wines, bring a Napa Valley wine tasting experience into people's homes and to people's front doorsteps. Um, and also bring the opportunity to be in own a Napa wine business um, without taking all the risk of having to raise those tens of millions of dollars to build it. So we we really are building a platform to empower people. 99% um, of our cause entrepreneurs are women and over half of them are moms. So a lot of who are empowering are moms around the nation to be in the wine business, to learn about wine, to find fulfillment, to make an impact in their local community all in the same hour. And that's a powerful thing. That's amazing. So now imagine I put you into a time machine and, you know, I, I bring you back in time, you know, right before, you know, you were getting started with One Hope, you know, you were maybe like thinking about bringing something to life, but you were not sure what that would be. And you have the opportunity of having a chat with that younger self, with that younger Jake. And you are able to give that younger Jake one piece of advice before launching a company. What would that be and why based on what you know now? Uh, people are everything and invest in people and find the right people as fast as possible. Enjoy the process and respect it. You know, um, uh, the journey is a long one in front of you. So, you know, have fun with it and enjoy it and take it all in as a learning experience. And uh, it's easier said than done for sure. But I would still tell myself that. And, uh, you know, that someday you were going to realize, you know, lots of the things that you envisioned, but there would also be new things that you didn't envision and that that vision is dynamic. And uh, there would be some things in your vision that you didn't accomplish at the rate or the way you wanted to. And that's okay too. So yeah, those are a few of the things I'd probably share with myself. I love it. So Jake, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, go to onehopewine.com, learn about us, you know, send us a note. If you're up in Napa, there's information on how to come and see us at our tasting room. It is private and it kind of runs, um, like a social club, but with this really deeply rooted purpose. And we have a very high touch, amazing food and wine experience there. So, uh, come visit us, shoot us a note early before, um, there's a, a long waiting list. Um, and, uh, and if you're giving gifts out, um, we have a perfect gift for people. You know, it's a bottle of wine, but it's so much more. It's making an impact in somebody else's life. And it's also going to make your the person on the other receiving end also feel hope. And so it serves all these purposes. And uh, yeah, um, outside of that, just share the word um, and be a good person and be civil with one another. One hope, keep an eye out um, on any... Uh, on, on the best menus um, that you see in town too, because we love to show up in places where hospitality and great food are occurring. And um, whether it's in a home or, or it's in a restaurant, um, if you see us, support us. Um, and if nothing else, um, connect the dots and know that uh, that restaurant is doing a good thing just by carrying our wine. So. Amazing. Well, Jake, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Alejandro. Thanks for uh, giving us the opportunity to share our vision with people and share our purpose with people. 
and uh, really helps the brand and you're helping people just by getting the word out about us. So thanks. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.